Hello and welcome back to The Biggest Fan Pod, the podcast that hands over the mic to some of our favourite people in the world of football and invites their biggest fans to ask the questions we wouldn't know to. Brought to you by this fangirl. It's episode five, which means we're halfway through the season. If you're tuning in for the first time today, make sure you check out the rest of the show so far. In this week's episode, we welcome one of the busiest women in the world of football, Chloe Morgan, and her girlfriend Eloise to ask the questions. Goalkeeper for Crystal Palace Women, Diversity and Inclusion Officer and Coach for Gold Diggers, and last but by no means least, Lawyer, we chat about Chloe's accidental route into goalkeeping, managing playing alongside her career, and her ambition for helping further development of women's football. Hope you enjoy. Hello. Hiya. How are you? I'm good. You're right. <laughs> yeah, not too bad. Not yeah. too bad. How's Jay going? <laughs> Yeah, busy. Um, just have a lot on, a lot of cases, a lot of things happening. Um, but yeah, looking forward to having a nice little lunchtime chat. How's your day going? Yeah, it's been all right. I had a little bit on with work this morning. I think I've still got quite a lot on now, but I've just told them I'm unavailable. So here I am. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, welcome to your interview, Chloe. It's great to have you here. Oh, cheers. Thanks, Han. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me on board. Manager, squeeze you into my very busy schedule. Of course, such an honour. So I'm going to be asking you some questions. Some of them are personal, some of them are professional. Okay, uh, I feel nervous. <laughs> Don't be nervous. So how has your lockdown been? Highs and lows, talk to us. I think it's been a bit of a weird one because I think when the lockdown first came in, um, obviously I was with Spurs and we were sort of going into the WSL and it was our first year and it was all kind of very exciting and it was kind of the first year playing professionally and just doing it full time, which was amazing. Um, but yeah, and then obviously the whole world completely changed and everything got cancelled and everything got shut down and yeah, the WSL obviously came to a bit of a standstill. So I spent a long time in my bedroom just by myself, just sort of figuring out what to do and trying to do some of the programs and things like that and trying to stay motivated um as well as obviously calling you making sure that you're okay and checking in and trying not to miss you too much and those kind of things yeah and then obviously just over summer I suppose there was um the Black Lives Matter movement and there was so much media surrounding that and I think because of obviously you know um being away from Spurs and, and moving over to Crystal Palace it kind of gave me a bit of time to reflect on my own experiences with football and and get a bit more vocal I think and, and say things that I'd kind of been wanting to say for a long time so um yeah it was a bit of a, a bit of a, a mental summer but you know it's um it's been amazing I think mm. overall and obviously now being with with Palace um and sort of getting used to a new team and a new setup and you know getting used to um training in the championship again and, and meeting everyone and um yeah weirdly not having any um fans at, at games is a bit of an odd one and obviously it's you know you've not been able to come down to a game yet and I'm <laughs> really upset about that so yeah I feel like you're one of the only people I know that's actually had an amazing year professionally I mean you'll obviously know what goes on behind the scenes and I think there's definitely been a, a fair few times where I've just <laughs> got very stressed and very tired and um you know a little bit nervous and anxious about um you know speaking out about things and um that being quite a scary process um but yeah I've definitely loved the fact that I've been able to have those opportunities to to speak out about um you know BLM and LGBT issues uh, and also sort of the inequality in women's football so um 
yeah, and it's been great. The women's football has still been given quite a lot of focus over the lockdown. So yeah, it's been a, a definitely a, a sort of a productive year. I'm sort of very grateful for the experience that I've had at lockdown. I know it's um yeah, it's not been it's not been easy. And how have you found having a relationship in lockdown, Chloe Morgan? <laughs> this is such a loaded question. <laughs> um, You're in peril. <laughs> okay, uh, maybe you should answer first. How have you found being in a relationship with me over lockdown? Um, I like the way you just flip that back on me. Um, <laughs> I think it's been challenging is the word that's come into my head. It's been amazing. You're a dream. But I found it challenging. But in like more external ways, like we haven't been able to go abroad or go on holiday together. We've either had to spend like loads and loads of time together. If like in the months that we were living together and um, or the months we've been apart and we've had like weeks apart at a time. And that was quite unusual. So we've like been met with some unusual circumstances yeah but I guess we've had a lot of time to get to know each other at a more accelerated pace because we've had so much time yeah but I still I think I think it's been challenging closet do you not I love that your first response to how the relationship has been has been challenging I mean I I wouldn't have led with that um that response (laughs) If I'm honest, yeah, I think it has been. It's been difficult. Oh, I've started off just the worst word again, difficult and challenging. Mm-hmm. Um, no, I think it has been. It's, it's been definitely very unique. Um, yeah, and I think it's it's been awesome that we've kind of had, you know, had to deal with things in a relationship that you probably wouldn't ever have to deal with in, in a normal situation. Um, yeah, like you said, kind of, it has been difficult spending long periods of time apart and then, you know, going from that and to kind of thinking that we can, you know, do quite a long period of time together and cope with all the trials and tribulations that comes with that as a kind of fairly new couple. And yeah, it's been gutting really not to kind of have you come to the games and kind of see me play. And, and also at the same time, like, I've missed out on opportunities to to come and see you dance and, and see, you know, you in, in your world. So I think that's been really really tough um yeah and going on holiday we've still not had a proper holiday abroad which is uh but it's something to look forward to so um it just feels like this year's been a bit of a pending year for a lot of things very different circumstances professionally like I've been furloughed from my job dance is a complete write-off whereas you've still been able to play football you've had that absorption of having that law job and having to pour like your energy wholeheartedly into something so it's like navigating those dynamics. Um, but we digress and we're moving on to football and away from the relationship chat. So I love this. Can Very you structured. <laughs> what is your earliest football memory? Um, I would say um, my mum and dad, uh, I think I was about five, six, uh, buying me my first Man United kit um and at the time the kits were like a completely different brand of kits I mean it was almost kind of a it was like cardboard it was um Mm. very stiff rigid kit and it had all the lettering on the front and I had gigs on the back and um yeah I remember sort of getting my first pair of socks they kind of came up to you know almost my 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 hips um yeah and then I think I got given a um, a Schmeichel goalkeeper top as well and my first pair of gloves um but yeah I think that's probably my first memory of football and kind of watching Man United on telly and going outside and playing um footy on the streets with like those disgusting yellow soft balls that used to absorb Mm -hmm. all the water and then you couldn't do anything with them and then you just get smashed in the face and water would go everywhere Mm -hmm. um yeah what was your first experience of football 
did you were you into football as a youngin um I wasn't like mad on it but I remember going to watch Bolton Wanderers and <laughs> my friend's dad Jimmy Phillips the one and only was playing that day and I didn't realize he was on the bench but I was going absolutely mental screaming Jimmy's name until someone was like can you please shut up he's on the bench <laughs> like <he's not. laughs> I remember going to the players' lounge and asking people who weren't actually footballers for autographs because I was just so overwhelmed with excitement that I was asking everyone for their autograph. And I remember being terrified of Lofty the Lion, their mascot. Nice. So that's what, that's what I remember. I do remember Bolton Wonders coming to my primary school and doing a little workshop with me, with my mates. And they said I had potential. And I was like, oh my God. I remember <laughs> that being absolutely thrilling. Um, but that's I mean, about it, really. That would have been amazing if we just ended up playing each other, sort of championship to championship team. Um, you for Bolton and, and me for Palace. <laughs> How would you say that your love for football started in the first place? I think it was definitely through um, watching men's football on TV. Um, yeah, I mean, at the time, you didn't see any women's football. They're just, you know, it wasn't in magazines. It wasn't in papers. It, 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 I mean, I'm so old that there wasn't things like, you know, Instagram and Twitter and all those kind of things. So the exposure to women's football was just absolutely nil. Um, so yeah, I grew up watching Man United and like it was kind of like, I think Giggs and Schmeichel and Cantona and Skulls, like all the old like Man United favourites. Um, and I just absolutely loved watching them. And then I'd, yeah, I'd go outside and just play, play footy on, on the street mainly. And then for my girls' team, the girls' school team at the time, um, mm. yeah. I loved it. Did you find yourself playing with women and girls quite early on? Or did you, when you first got introduced to football, were you playing with the lads? I think it was always with the lads initially. Um, I didn't really find there was a lot of girls who were really that fussed about football. Um, yeah, definitely on the street. No, none of the girls seemed to want to play football. And But I think I was quite lucky, actually, because we had a girls football team. Um, but we'd see some unusual results. So like one nil, I think one time it was like 24 nil or something. Um, it, yeah, not through us having any particular talent, but I think it was just at a time where women's football sort of wasn't, or girls football wasn't given much attention. So it was just sort of go onto the pitch and do your best. Mm-hmm. And at the moment you're really busy, aren't you, Chloe? So you're a lawyer, you're a WSL goalkeeper. In fact, you were doing WSL, now you've got championship. Is that right? I love that um you're a goalkeeper coach and you're also doing ambassador work so how do you do all these things at once and why is it all important to you um I think sometimes it can be quite difficult um it could definitely be quite uh tiring um you know I think but in terms of kind of I I get quite a lot of support from both the club and also my firm so like at the moment, sort of doing a nine to five job and then trying to get everything done, get all my hours in and sort of sort out my files. And then I've got a bit of time, probably about 20 minutes or so before I've got to get into my kit and then head off to um, to Palace training and then just doing the training in, in the evening. So I can kind of make it all fit at the moment. Um, yeah. And then I suppose, it, yeah, I think, you know, obviously you see the kind of worst of me when it gets to the end of the week and I'm a bit tired and very grumpy and sort of kicking off about <laughs> about very small things. Um, yeah, but I enjoy it. I enjoy the fact that I, I've sort of got both of those things in my life and I can kind of go from, um, you know, having quite a stressful day at work and then going out to the pitch and, and seeing the girls and just sort of making the most of being outside, especially now when everything's all, all shut down. Yeah, absolutely. 
And I just want to say for anyone who's listening, I've never seen someone with a more relentless working schedule. I, I actually don't think I've ever met anyone who works as hard as you. I th- are you um, just trying to make really up do. for the fact that you called our relationship challenging before? I didn't call our relationship challenging. <laughs> you know what we're moving on right um and what made you want to be a lawyer in the first place what was the inspo there it's a really cheesy story um and it involves julia roberts who i did used to have a bit of a crush on um and now obviously my crush is obviously you so i've moved on um and it was um julia roberts playing erin brockovich um and she is basically this lawyer who has, or she was not even a lawyer, she just, she has no legal background, but ends up working for this firm. And they end up embroiled in this massive case about um, people getting sick from this dodgy water. And I think the whole story is just kind of such a heartwarming, inspirational story of just kind of, you know, David and Goliath type situation where a very small firm in a very small town in America kind of take down this massive corporation and, and kind of get justice for what's happened to them. And I just absolutely loved the moral of that and how you can kind of le- use, um, you know, legal skills basically to kind of help clients. Um, yeah. And I love the fact that I've now got, you know, individual clients that I work with and I'm, I'm not working so much with kind of you know, companies or businesses. I actually get to meet and speak to real clients who have gone through some quite difficult times. Mm. Um, yeah. So I love, yeah, I, I do love that part of my job. Yeah. You are absolutely London's answer to Erin Brockovich. In terms of getting into football, how did you start making that progression to playing professionally from training when you were younger? Uh, So I had a bit of an unconventional route into football. I think even though I started off absolutely loving football and playing football pretty much whenever I could, um, you know, I played for Leighton Orient Academy when I was 12 or 13, but then decided from that that actually I didn't want to take it that seriously. Um, you know, at that age, they were sort of looking at, you know, players starting to go professional and things like that. And at that time, I just wanted to to get a bit of pocket money and go out and go to the cinema or, you know, just go out and go to the shops or whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was only with Leighton Orient for, for a year and then just played, you know, very grassroots football, Sunday league football um, for a long time. Um, with my dad as manager, Coach Clive was there, mm-hmm. played for him, which was very stressful um you've met Clive you know what he's like great man <laughs> uh, <laughs> he's a great man but I'm, I'm you know difficult times being managed by him yeah but no he was incredible he was he was good yeah uh, basically the, the goalkeeper at the time um dislocated her knee and um yeah I decided to jump in see what I was see if I could do it see if I was any good and uh yeah decided to stay in and found that I was sort of relatively all right here and uh, trial, for, trial for Spurs. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it was um, a bit of a weird journey, a bit of a very unconventional route into goalkeeping. What would you say is a conventional route into goalkeeping? Um, I'd probably say maybe wanting to be a goalkeeper from a very young age, um, yeah. you know, starting off at kind of 9, 10, 11 years old, already knowing that that's the position that you want to play in. Um mm-hmm. You know, when I speak to quite a few girls at the moment, they're sort of very sure and very determined already at, you know, 9, 10, 11, that they want to go pro and that they're, you know, they're going to play a striker or they're going to play in goal. And I think that's incredible that you've got kids at that age who are just so focused on having this goal and this ambition mm-hmm. already. Because, I mean, yeah, I didn't know what I wanted to do at 9, 10, 11. It wasn't until a little bit older that I decided that 
actually Julia Roberts was what I wanted to become and would you I'm just thinking like (laughs) would you say that for for young girls who are sort of like still trying to find their feet in exactly what they want to do within football would it be worth sort of taking a few goalkeeper sessions as well as doing their standard training to sort of see if they have a moment like you had when you jumped in the goal and you realized that actually really clicked for you I actually think that's an epic idea um yeah I think you can get quite sucked in I think as a younger player just to thinking of the outfield positions I think being in goal sometimes is seen as the last case scenario or the position that kind of the the kid who can't play football that well goes into Mm. um and I think there needs to be a bit of exception shift um but I definitely think it's the best position on the pitch Mm. um but yeah, I mean, I didn't know that I wanted to go in goal until I was uh, 20, 21. Um, and that's sort of the direction that my career took off in. And, you know, when I was playing in, as a defender, I wasn't I wasn't that great. I was kind of OK-ish. But yeah, I definitely wasn't making it into WSL as a, as a right back. Um, mm. But I think it is important. But I think it's, it's about opportunities as well. Because I think a lot of girls at a younger age maybe don't have the um, opportunity to actually do any specific goalkeeper training. Because a lot of the grassroots teams you know, with funding and things like that, kind of focus on outfield players. So, um, yeah, it's quite difficult, I suppose, to find opportunities to to get into goalkeeping from from a young age, if if that's sort of where your where your mind's at. I do have a newfound respect for goalkeepers because I guess with football, you think about the goal, don't you? You think about the striker getting that goal in the net. But I think from what I sort of like start to understand, the more time I spend with you, like being in goal is like as high pressure as scoring a goal really ultimately you in that moment that determines whether the I don't know the score changes and I know it's like a whole team effort but it must be so such high pressure being in that net and sort of carrying that responsibility to keep that clean sheet Uh, I mean totally there have been so many games and every single game I go into I always have um, a certain amount of nerves because I think with goalkeeping, I mean, with any other position on the pitch, if you make a mistake, you know, it's not too problematic. If a striker misses a goal or, you know, if a, if a midfielder isn't in the right position, um, you know, it's not too problematic. But in goal, if, you know, you you fluff the ball or it goes through your hands for quite an easy shot or you accidentally, I don't know, don't, you know, have the correct touch or whatever it is and it goes into the back of the net, it's, yeah, it's game over. And then you look like the absolute villain. Um, yeah, so there's always a massive fear that you're going to do something stupid. Um, yeah, so I think it, there's a lot of pressure. Yeah, I remember doing uh, there was one lunchtime, I think I was in year three, and all the lads were playing football. And I was like, Lads, I'm coming to join you, don't worry about it, I'm going in goal. And I was in goal, and I scored so many own goals, and they never let me play with them ever again. So I can't even imagine what you go through. Um, how's it been for you settling into Crystal Palace this year, and do you have like plans? to take Crystal Palace to the WSL? Is that the the vibe at the moment? I mean, I've absolutely loved it. I love, you know, I, I sort of joined, you know, back in June, July. And from there, I mean, the girls are so friendly. Um, and everyone's, there's this kind of sense of family already. And I think that's quite hard to achieve when you've got so many new players coming in to a team. But already everyone has each other's backs. You know, everyone's sort of, you know, very vocal on the, on the WhatsApp groups and things like that. We're always looking to improve what, what we're doing with analysis and, you know, being out on the pitch. And yeah, it's just, um, it's a really awesome club to be a part of. Everyone's, you know, quite ambitious about trying to get into to WSL and, and seeing that in the sort of near future for the club. So 
yeah, I definitely would love to be a part of, um, you know, Palace's history going forwards and and trying to do what I can to to help that. Yeah, um, yeah, the club's definitely going places, and it's yeah, it's exciting. It's an exciting club to be a part of. Um, mm. But yeah, hopefully you'll get down to a game and actually see us in action at some point. I know it's been actually one of my biggest like peeves this year. The fact that I haven't seen my own girlfriend, Chloe Morgan, playing in a football game, it pisses me off so much. I just think like, what even is that, that I haven't seen you play yet? I think it's going to be so nervy. I think having you there on the sidelines is going to be, I mean, I'm already nervous when I go onto the pitch, let alone having like you and then the family there watching me after, you know, a year of having had no one kind of watch, watch the games. It's going to be absolutely terrifying. So if you could just sort of disguise yourself, that'd be great. Just don't make it too obvious that you're there. I'll be holding up a massive sign saying, don't be shit. And you'll know, you'll know where I am. Oh, brilliant. Thank you. And there was me worried about it. Yeah. So moving on a little bit, um, to some quite big issues. Um, in terms of work within anti-racism and LGBTQIA plus issues within football, are there any areas you feel like there's work to be done? If so, what are they? Um, so I've actually kind of spoken to a few, at the moment the Palace are doing this um, Zoom initiative and it's all about kind of speaking to clubs and the women's clubs and girls clubs in the community about um, you know, the experiences that they're having and um, how difficult they've been finding um, lockdown. And in the sort of course of these discussions, a lot of things come up about inequality in football, uh, representation of um, black and Asian players, mixed race players in, in football, um, you know, women in football. Um, yeah. And LGBT issues in, in football as well. Um, and it's been quite a nice way to kind of flesh out the discussions and see what people are talking about and how people are viewing these kind of issues um and I think it's massive actually off the back of what's happened last summer that more discussions and more priority and more attention is being given to these type of things um mm-hmm. you know as a in a LGBT sense I feel like women's football is probably at the forefront of being LGBT inclusive and there's just an understanding, I think, in the women's game that you don't have with other sports and definitely not in the, the men's game that there's a lot of LGBT people in the community and a lot of players um, from, from grassroots up to WSL are, you know, within the LGBT community and it's sort of quite accepted. And I've never kind of ever felt um, uncomfortable because of my sexuality. In fact, I've kind of found women's football as a, um, a kind of safe haven that I can be myself and be around people who are like me and have had similar experiences so LGBT wise I think women's football is in you know I think it's it's probably a, a bit of a leader at the forefront of, of things and I think I think sort of moving on then to um, you know black and Asian and, and mixed race um, you know representation in the game I think it's it's definitely something that needs to be addressed um, I don't think it's there yet I think the FA are kind of maybe paying more attention to it now because of what happened over summer with sort of coach inclusion pathways and a lot of the clubs now are getting involved in trying to recruit more diverse uh, coaching pools and things like that, which is which is great. But I do also think there needs to be this sense of really assisting, uh, like assistance from big clubs in trying to engage the communities a little bit more. Um, obviously, once the COVID restrictions and stuff have e- eased up, but, you know, things like, opening up their grounds or you know paying money for sort of programs to to go into schools or you know even offering assistance like you know 
getting uh buying a minibus or helping out with actually getting some of these kids to trials or to camps or you know two sessions and I, and I mean kids from all different backgrounds I don't just mean ethnic minorities but I also mean kids who might not be from a um you know a very privileged background as well you know it needs to be opened up otherwise I think there could be a risk that football becomes a quite um not elitist sport but I think it become a sport that it's definitely advantageous if you're from a background where you're able to afford to get travel to, to training or you're afford you're able to afford the new boots or you're able to afford to you know get on social media a bit more and show people your clips and things like that so yeah there's kind of a there's a lot to be done I think the shift is happening but mm. I definitely think there's a lot more that could be done and people could definitely be stepping up more yeah yeah it makes me sort of wonder if the root of that issue is the fact that maybe young women in certain ethnic minorities just might not be handed football as a as an option you know like as a I don't know do you know what I'm trying to say like children grow up with having so many different options and you know if you're at a great school and things like that you have all these people coming in and doing workshops and I don't know I wonder if it if it starts there with I don't know no I think I completely agree I was I was speaking to a a teacher yesterday on on a zoom call and, and she was saying how you know, she's worked in very different schools, some schools that have had loads of resources, other schools that, you know, haven't had access to, um, you know, people coming in or the funding to, to offer camps or, um, and, it, and it's about opportunity, isn't it? And I think there's, at some schools, there is a lack of opportunity for kids to, you know, be involved in in the kind of programs that might get them into to sport and, you know, to progress in sport as well, if they want to carry on to elite level. Um, yeah, and I think, you know, even at the moment, you've got, even just on a very basic level, I mean, there's still schools in England that don't offer women's um, girls football as part of the curriculum. So yeah. you've still got girls being told that they've got to do netball or rounders and the boys go off and play football and rugby and it's 2021. So true. And children are so impressionable. I think that's what I'm trying to say. That like we're so impressionable when we're growing up. But if we're not offered these pathways, we're not going to see these pathways. Um, I was going to say as well, I think it's amazing that you felt so safe um, as an LGBT member of the community in women's football. I think that's amazing that you have always felt that sort of safe space. And I just think how joyous would that be if it was the same for men as well? Like imagine how different that would be if men had that experience like that's insane but I'm really glad that that you felt like that um have you got any aspirations for the future and this I guess can be football related or it can be general um it's a weird one I think I'm at a bit of a crossroads um yeah and I know obviously we've had quite a lot of discussions about what I'd like to do next and um you know I'm getting old in football terms and uh you know retirement is something that's sort of in and around the kind of future and um yeah I definitely feel like with everything that I've been through sort of in the football landscape I'd quite like to continue that in in some way um after retirement but I'm just sort of figuring out a way I suppose to I don't develop on the things that I love um and to work with the women's and girls football community in some way to try and um create a more equal platform um to create a more equal situation um but I think I've just kind of figure out what that is yeah I think it's quite yeah. difficult because I think I love playing football so much I don't want to give that up and you know I love that I'm able to help my clients with my job and I don't really want to give that up but 
also I think it's sort of reaching a bit of a point in my life where a transition into something new is um is sort of on the horizon um yeah, yeah which I'm quite excited about but yeah for now I'm just going to see how how the next year or so pans out and I guess you're just so busy I bet you don't have much time to even stop and really think about what's coming because you're so conscious of trying to get like the current job done but um I'm very excited to see see what you're going to do next Cosa. I might keep you updated yeah yeah give me a call sometime <laughs> let me know how it's going yeah I'll just drop you drop you an email or something probably fax you know right. <laughs> carry a pigeon that kind of thing I will I'm easy um what would you say is about your character that has enabled you to come as far as you have so I don't necessarily think it's my character I would say it's the people that I've met along the way um I think I've been very fortunate that I've always had very strong awesome badass female um role models there all the time around me so you know people in Spurs we had a general manager Nicole Allison who was an absolute powerhouse trying to get us the things that that we needed to behind the scenes and um you know the women in um women in football board I mean that's just made up of incredible women who are all doing amazing things in and around the football industry uh, my agent Joe Tong is an absolute powerhouse boss and advises me on everything and sort of keeps my head straight and you know just being around women's teams as well and seeing you know being a part of you know clubs where women are doing incredible things on the pitch and as well as that they've also got full-time jobs and some of them are parents and you know I just think the women that I've had around me have just been absolute inspirations um yeah and I think that's kind of built um a bit of a I don't know, I feel more confident, I suppose, in myself when you're surrounded by women like that, especially from the football industry who have um, who support you and who kind of are there if you need to discuss things and to bounce ideas off. And um, yeah, it's given me the confidence, I suppose, to stand on my own two feet sometimes um, and become a little bit more resilient. And sometimes I suppose that resilience has been built off the fact that you do something once, so you might speak up about something and you might get a backlash from that. And, you know, you just, you learn to develop a thick skin after a while. Um, and, you know, I think through speaking more publicly about things, that's really helped me kind of gain a little bit more confidence to, to carry on doing that because, you know, for all the abuse that you get or, you know, the stupid comments or whatever it is, you also get, you know, 18 times as much um, support from um, the community saying, you know, keep saying what you're saying and yeah, we're going to stand up and do our own thing. So it kind of feels like it's a bit of a domino effect at the moment with women's football that everyone's kind of supporting each other's progression, which I think is, is awesome. Yeah. Well, I think as well, like as much as, as much as you very honorably just sort of credited everyone else, except from yourself as to how far you've come, and obviously those women play such a huge role, but I think you are really honest. And I think your honesty has brought you to this point. I think you're incredibly driven. And I think you have, I don't know, just such a, a great energy around you as well. And I think everyone must must love playing with you. I'd love to have you on my team. What can I say? <laughs> you think it'll start a team? Yeah, I did actually have a dream, didn't I, the other night that I was playing against Blackburn Rovers. And it was my first ever match and I didn't even know what position I was supposed to be playing. But my dad came to watch and he said I did a really good job. I bet you would. I bet you'd be pretty decent in goal. Um, and have you got any ambitions as a player for yourself at the moment? 
Um, yeah, I mean, definitely. I think because I appreciate that, you know, my, my football career is, is not going to be another decade long um, and that time is going to be fairly limited, um, that I just want to make the absolute most of, of being out on the pitch and, and being at training sessions and just enjoying mm-hmm. it because, you know, it feels like it's just gone so quickly. When I started playing football at six or seven, I, you know, that was such a, it seemed like an absolute millennia away that I'd ever think about, you know, stopping playing football at, at you know, pro or semi-pro level. And um, yeah, now that it's sort of around the corner and, and taunted me a little bit, I kind of feel like I need to just make the absolute most of it. And I'd want to do everything I can, um, hopefully with Palace to, um, you know, push them on and to help them grow and, and develop and, you know, get into WSL at some point and um, yeah, make history with them would be, mm-hmm amazing yeah it's a dream isn't it really like I think you're going to look back and be like I was living the absolute dream I hope so um (laughs) like playing professionally and for all these years no absolutely I think it's one of those really weird situations where I kind of never ever thought that it would happen um and even when I was with Spurs I mean there were definitely there was definitely long periods of time where we just didn't think that we would make it to, to WSL you know when I first started playing for them it was literally just one man and his dog um coming to see the games on a Sunday and then you know we started to get promoted and it, it started to look like an actual possibility so it was an absolute dream come true to be able to sort of play at that level because I just I didn't see that being a part of my life at all so yeah I feel so fortunate so fortunate definitely like I mean I've only seen a little bit of your journey but it's been a really exciting one to observe thank Um, you Han it has it has um what was I going to say um what would you say your ambitions are for the future of women's football what is the dream in terms of witnessing the growth of women's football over the next few years what would you like to see happen this is a big one I mean, how long have you got? Um, Let's get into it. <laughs> um, I mean, ideally, I'd like to see a lot, a, a much better level of equality in the women's and, and men's games. Um, I think not just in terms of things like pay, which I think massively needs to be improved. I think you can't have a situation where you've got WSL clubs on very little money, the players on very little money, so much so they have to supplement their playing careers with other jobs because it just doesn't it's not conducive to playing professionally you just can't have that so I think players at professional level need to be better financially supported I also would like to see um, younger players so younger girls who are coming into the game you know and looking to go professional kind of you know 15 16 17 years old you know be encouraged to go to to clubs but also clubs realizing that a football career is very limited and that they not only need support to develop as players but they need support to develop from an educational perspective so that when they leave their careers in however long that might be, that they're better supported and that they have options around them to go into management or social media or PR or journalism. Um, and I think that's the kind of top level, but at grass level, I think there needs to be better access and more equal access to, um, to pitch space. Um, that's been a big one trying to get pitch space and access to pitch space for for girls and and women's grassroots clubs um there's a lot of block bookings and corporate bookings out there that sort of seem to be stopping um the progression of the game um 
yeah, I think the FA, I think, need to kind of be better, I think, in terms of their approach to um, to women and girls football. I think, you know, with what's happened with the pandemic, I think, you know, it's, it's kind of highlighted the disparity um, between men and women's football um, and the fact that some parts of men's football have been able to continue and women's football, because of the lack of resources, hasn't been given the same benefit. Um, yeah, so I think... There's a lot of work to be done. I feel like it's going in the right direction, but I'm greedy. I think I always want things to happen faster and for more things to happen. I think that just comes from a place of justice, though. I don't think it's even greed. I think you're just maybe tired of seeing, I don't know, some injustices in in the difference between men and women's football. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're probably right. I'm maybe just getting a bit long in the tooth, just... um getting a bit old and sort of sitting on my rocking chair having a having a big moan about the state of, of women's football um but I think just having experienced it and experienced the inequality from grassroots level right up to to WSL I think it's um in 2021 I think the the position should be a lot better and I think yeah. it's frustrating sometimes that that it isn't and sometimes the inequality that exists doesn't always uh, isn't always noticed because it's quite difficult I think sometimes for women and girls to speak up about the things that go on so um, yeah it's um, but I think it's good that women's football is getting so much attention and you know we are starting to see so much more growth in girls getting involved in in football and all these teams these women's and girls teams that have exploded um, you know they've got massive social media presences and they've got you know 200 300 members who want to sign up every week and um, you know, it's uh, it's definitely a positive time for, for women's football, but I feel like that's because of the effort that goes in from the individuals, the coaches, the the founders, the um, yeah. yeah, rather than sort of external people who um could probably help a little bit more. Yeah, it definitely seems like there's absolute dream team like working behind the scenes to sort of advance women's football at the moment. It sounds like there's a lot of incredible incredible people trying to push the game forward yeah massively I think you know even with the work that I'm sort of doing with with gold diggers and you know before I'd, I joined gold diggers I had absolutely no idea what went into to running a club and, and making things um and progressing the club and getting more members in and it's absolutely killer like some of the things that the women are doing off their own backs in their own time volunteering you know the coaches the secretaries the uh, the people who are fighting for a better pitch space, the kind of, um, yeah, the people who are doing the magazines kind of promote what's going on and um, all these things go into trying to make a successful club and all for the aim of trying to get more women and non-binary people involved in football, whether that's kind of for fun or social or that they want to progress in the game. But yeah, it's amazing. I mean, Gold Diggers are just amazing. I absolutely love being a part of them. They've, they've, been, they've been on real. I feel really positive about the future of women's football and I've got no stance to comment I'm speaking from like the most naive uneducated and experienced place but I just feel like in the direction that society is going at the moment as well I feel like there's just gonna be a lot less tolerance for a lot of this these problems in the next 50 years I just don't see things staying the same at all I, th- I think you could be right I think off the back of you know the the Euros happening next year and and now hopefully things are going to open up and women and girls can get back to what well, everyone can get back to playing football again. And, mm. and I think 
because no one's had the opportunity to play football for the past year or so, I think when we all get back to it, I think the demand for it is going to double. Um, mm. Yeah, and I think competitions, you know, inter- big international competitions are, are going to be great that are now going to be shown on the BBC, hopefully a lot more. Um, you know, social media and women's football is, is completely exploded. So, and I think more and more things will start to come to light and, and the position will get better. Yeah. I really hope, I definitely really, really hope. Yeah, I, I don't want the situation to remain the way it is for the next 10, 15 years. Yeah, I just think women in football deserve to be celebrated on such an astronomical level and don't think we've fully seen that yet, like to the degree that you all deserve to be celebrated. So that's what I want to see. Okay, <laughs> my final question to you. Chloe Morgan, is when we're through the pandemic, where are you booking your first flight to? Oh, um, I mean, I'd like to say somewhere really outlandish, like Bora Bora. I think, you know, we've been away, um, you know, from, well, we've not been able to go away for a very long time now. So I feel like the first holiday has got to be an absolute big one. And I just don't <laughs> think there's any anywhere bigger that you can go than a private, essentially a private island with a private jet. Um my um, bank account might say differently, but that's the ambition. Yeah. I, I don't know who's funding this trip, but it's not me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that in like the Indian Ocean? Is it like that's that? That's it. I actually don't know where it is. I just know that it's very far away from civilization. And although I'm not entirely sure that that's a good thing, considering we have all already been away from civilization for quite a long time. Mm. Um, can I rethink this? No, I'm going to go again um where else would I love to go Bali yeah would love to go to Bali um have yourself yeah. a bowl by the beach a, a what a spring roll smoothie bowl you could have a oh. spring roll as well if you want <laughs> is that what they have in Bali spring rolls um <laughs> or Porto I've heard Porto is very 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 nice this time of year um I would love to go to Porto yeah um excellent well, Chloe Morgan, it's been an absolute pleasure. I think this concludes the interview for today. Oh, thank Any- you. Thank you. No, thank you so much for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure to be interviewed by, by yourself. Um, yeah, it's uh, been very insightful, challenging at times. Um, <laughs> but yeah, enjoyed it. <laughs>